In Matthew 13, there's what is traditionally called the parable of the sower, and I want to walk through that this morning. Um, Jesus had been teaching. He went down on the beach and said there were so many people, he got into a boat, and, and he was telling them stories. And what I'd like to do is briefly walk through this story and then share um, a dream story, so to speak, that, uh, and attach it to some things. Because I think God wants to um, do some transformation in lives this morning. And I guess, you know, for me, it's, it's one thing to read the Scripture, but where is it going to take you? And He has intent and it's a powerful, wonderful book, but it's, it's, it's to open the door for what he wants to work in our lives. And so uh, I want to walk through this passage briefly and just, um, he tells the story of, of a farmer scattering seed. Now, they didn't have tractors in those days. They didn't have cedars, so to speak, and... You know, it's not like the guy with the lawn tractor that has the little cedar behind, or the crank thing. Remember with the seed spewing out? They would, they would take a bag, and so they'd scatter it. And um, so that's the picture of what was going on when he tells this story. And he says it, it lands all over the place. You know, and, and so the birds got their share, just like they do today. And they came in, and... He goes on and says that some fell on rocky soil and, you know, it just, it sprang up, but it didn't, it didn't flourish. And then there were weeds that got into some of the rest of it and it, it really didn't do well either. It, it looked good, but it just didn't produce. And then finally, the, the whole goal of the sowing was that there was some that, that really produced in a marvelous way. Jesus left that parable off at that point with the crowd. And you kind of go, you know, like the disciples are going, what are you doing? You know, and, and he does tell them, Jesus does tell the group, he says, uh, you guys the ears, let them hear it. Pay attention. Okay. <laughs> you know, so what are we supposed to do with this? Well, thankfully for us, the disciples were quizzing him, and, and he comes back and explains it later on. But they're also going, why do you tell stories? You know, what is this? And, and so he walks through some of the things with them, and he says, uh, he says, I have explained secrets about the kingdom of heaven to you, but not to others. That doesn't really make us feel any more comfortable, does it? But... I think what, what he's beginning to say is it isn't, the kingdom isn't just handed to everyone and assumed that they're just going to go forward with it. It isn't just open up. It's not like you, you may be born in a Christian family. That doesn't make you Christian. There is some investment on the individual to, to unlock, so to speak, the secrets of the kingdom. And so his teaching didn't just make all of them believers or all of them followers, but they had to respond. And so even in our day, there's that necessity of taking what we've been handed or taking what's open to us, but allowing it to go to that next step. 
And so he says, everyone who has something will be given more. If the seed's been planted in you and you're, you're nurturing it, it, it's going to produce. But those that don't have, even what's there is going to be taken away. So essentially when I read this passage, what I, what I step into, and I'm getting ahead of myself because he refers back to Isaiah and he says people are going to be hearing, not getting it, seeing, not understanding. He, he says Isaiah declared that this would happen. But he says, uh, many prophets, good people, were eager to see what you see and hear what you hear, but I tell you, they did not see or hear. He goes back to this story now. So, he said, listen to the meaning of the story. Seeds that fell among, and it, it, what I want you to note is that there's four types of responses, okay? That's, that's crucial to this understanding I've mistreated this story numerous times in the past. Maybe you were, got to be a part of that. Uh, it doesn't say that there was 25% here and 25% there. Uh, he just says there's four types of response that, that takes place. And so the first one is a seed that fell along the road. It says the people that hear the message about the kingdom but don't understand it, and the evil one comes and snatches the message from their hearts. In other words... There's an awareness of the gospel or there's a statement and maybe they know the name of Jesus, but he says it never, never truly starts to grow in their hearts. And he says the, the evil one comes along and just kind of the distraction and, and whatever he does, he says that seed of the gospel never grows in the heart. That's one of the responses. He says there's another type. He says the seed that fell on rocky ground are the people who gladly hear the message, accept it right away, but they don't have deep roots and they don't last very long. In other words, life gets hard, message gives them trouble, and they give up. That's another response to the gospel. It's like, oh, this God thing is, this is amazing. And they start into it, and then there's this, oh, man, you know, it's, it's just, you know, there's that step of faith that says, I am entering into things that are different than anything I've ever had. I'm making decisions that are different than I've ever made. And I'm not sure if I dare go forward in this. And there's in that moment that decision says, let's go back to what's comfortable. Let's go back to what's been. And rather than dig deeper and grow more solid, there's this turning point that just says, uh, well, that, it seemed good for a little bit, but it just, I don't know that I can trust this with my life. And essentially, that's seed on rocky soil. It's a response to the gospel, but it doesn't really bear fruit. The next one that, and this one, I guess, probably is intrigued me more than most because it says this plant grows up among the weeds, but it's like the weeds are stealing the nutrients out of the soil, and it never produces. And, and for me, that's like it carries a religiousness about life. It appears Christian, so to speak, but it, it never really 
produces fruit of the kingdom. That's frightening to me because we're church people, right? You're in church. You're a church person. And so that potential in us is to go along and be, act religious and, in a sense, do religious things, but never truly engage at a level that produces fruit with the kingdom of, of God. And it's, you know, John 15 says, it's to the Father's glory that we bear much fruit. So the idea is that he designed us and created us similar to this word, you know, that, that we would have true significant kingdom impact. But there is the potential to carry all the trappings of it and, and never truly accomplish anything in regard to the work of God. For a spirit effect, something must be spirit-driven. And that means spirit of God working through our lives in a way that transforms. Transforms our lives, transforms it has a transforming effect on others. But it, it must be driven by the presence of God, that life, that seed growing. It's not just an outward appearance that, you know, I'm, I'm doing the right things. How many times do you, I mean, do you, do you look at the things of God and go, Right thing, right place, wrong time. You know, you, you, you think, this is what I should be doing, but unless you really ask, Lord, is this what you want? Sometimes it just, you know, you, you're going through the motions, and you're assuming that the presence of God is on it, but it, it really is not having any transforming effect because it's not truly what he's called you to do. I have those moments where, you know, where you, I'm used, I, all of us love system in some measure. And we love to put it on cruise. <laughs> A lot fewer tickets if you put it on cruise, right? But it is not, in Christ, it is not always the thing that, that works. Well, this is the way we did it last week. This is the way we did it last year. Obviously, this is the way we do it today. And yet, Without that sense of the guiding hand of God on it, that's not a promise or a given. And so there's this interaction that we're called to with him that allows us to dialogue and, and have a living relationship that calls us into things and, and to do things. Okay. The, the final seed is the one that fells on, fell on good ground and produces a great harvest. And, and, of course, our heart's desire is to be that seed, obviously. As I was working on this this week, um, Adam had come over on Friday night and he'd shared a video that we're going to see in just a, a bit. YouTube comes to church. Uh, <laughs> I know you're excited. Uh, but one of the things that uh, I had a dream that I consider a spiritual dream the other night, and it connected to this. 
And for me to even remember a dream is unusual. But I, I started chewing on it, and I thought, this has application to this, so I am going to share it this morning. Um, I was an observer in a situation where a man has a woman tethered to a, a cable, or either, like there's a short cable and a long cable attached. And if, if I can get the picture right for you, it's, it's similar to a person putting a dog on a chain and, and they have only that loop to, to go around. You know, I, I remember a guy that was used to stealing stuff, having some Dobermans, and he had this stake in his yard, and, and they had so done this loop that it was like a racetrack mounded up, you know, and it was, it was sobering. You know, you drove in, you're going, I am not messing around here. Well, my impression was that this, this controlling man had, had this woman attached to a cable, and she had no freedom. In the evening, he releases her to go inside a house, but he takes this longer cable, attaches it to the window, and then he stands and watches and makes sure that she goes and attaches her cable to the other side of the window, and she has just enough room to sit at a table and eat with one hand. And for me, when I started looking at that, in some ways, when Satan has control of our lives. It's like having us on this tether. And then in Christ we get set free, except that if we're afraid of the enemy's response and we continue to live in fear, there's an unwillingness to detach the cable and leave it detached, you know, because what is he going to do? And what's going to happen if I don't hook that thing back on? We can be in God's house and under his protection, but until we're willing to release our fears, we don't get to operate in freedom. So I want to, as I was chewing on this, I just, I started walking through some things and saying, okay, I've seen some of this connected to my life where the roots of my behavior were much deeper than the behavior itself. And until I was willing to examine those roots and deal with them, I wasn't free of the, the surface activity. And oftentimes when we come to the Lord and we declare, I've been set free from the slavery of sin, and I, the enemy has no more power over me, there is still a tendency to hook that cable back on because it's what's familiar or it's what's fearful to us and the uncharted, the unknown, the, 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 the unseen is frightening in the moment because it requires a step of faith into activity that we've not known before. Sometimes it's easier when it, in regard to bitterness to say, my dad did this to me, and this is why I act the way that I do, and this is why I carry the attitude that I do. It's easier to do that than to release that and say, I am not going to attribute any of my activity connected to that. But it means that I have to be willing to release that bitterness. 
But sometimes it's easier to hang on to the bitterness than to step into new behavior and take responsibility in Christ for what's today. And to say, I am not going to just, you know, I'm not just going to leave this connection here, but rather I'm going to step into something new, even though I don't know exactly where this is going. This happens um, with our sexual sin. You know, sometimes it's easier to participate in that instant gratification than it is to say, I'm lonely and I don't know what to do about this in this moment. Or sometimes it's, I feel depressed. It's easier to, to participate in an experience than to just, to, to, than to not, you know, to, to, to step away. Sometimes it seems more dangerous to say, <laughs> if I stay awake all night, I'm going to stay awake all night. I am not stepping into this sin. Because it's uncharted territory. To allow ourselves to be untangled from such things requires a releasing of the cable and stepping into something that we've not known before. And yet God offers that opportunity to us to free us from those things. Just think of... uh, in a congregation this size, in this day, several of you are wrestling with cutting. It's just a given. For those of us that haven't participated in it, it's like, really? But you know what? It, there is a physical high associated with it. There's a controlling of emotional pain for the moment. And it's almost like I'm in charge right now. But what happens? Immediately following that, there's the guilt and the shame and the pile-on of fear of, will I ever be free of this? But until you're willing to trust the Lord in a step of faith that says, even though this, I, I don't understand where this is going, I, but I am going to allow Him to deal with my pain in this area. The cable's still attached. And you're the slave, and you may be eating, and you may be in the house, but you have yet to deal with the one watching through the window. You know, it's bringing the fear of what a different life is going to look like. Self-indulgence, you know, in, in you know... I'll take my pleasure now. I've earned this. You know, I've gone through this. I've earned this moment. It's, it's all about today and now. It, it doesn't have a future view, so to speak. And, and, you know, this is, you know, as I was looking at this, even, you know, we're aware, too, that even at times physical healing does not take place until we deal with emotional sorrows and and bitternesses and and a a host of things. But it's, it's available to us, 
But are we going to step into what we don't necessarily know except that we can trust God that he has good intent? Trust him enough to change the way things have been. To, to, to step into the new in a way that we've never, in a place that we've never been before. So as I was, you know, looking at this dream and, and just evaluating that, I'm, I'm going, that has described areas of my life. It continues to describe areas. You know, where, where fear would keep you from stepping in to a health, but it's like, if I do this, they may mistreat me. If I trust this situation, what happens if it, it just, if I feel this loneliness continuing on and on and on? What if, what if I, I just don't, I don't know how to cope? And there's a, there has to be an opening of the heart that says, God, you have offered healing here. And I'm going to have to trust you in this. And even though I don't know where this is going, I, I'm going to depend upon you. Um, Adam had brought a video that I'd like to share if we can make it work. Um, let's go for it. This is a story of the potential in healing that's available to us. This Every story has a beginning. That we sang. I don't know where this really begins, except I know in May the 19th, 1970, I came home to Jesus after a rock and roll career and lots of smoking dope and come home to my wife and she forgave me for three and a half years of unfaithfulness and we began to follow Jesus. And it was hard, it was trying, it was beautiful, but in 1976, something happened that wrecked my heart, my life. She had made several trips to the physician, her gynecologist, her female doctor. And he said, Linda, there's some problems. The long and short was she had cancer of the uterus and what was necessary was to have a hysterectomy of surgery to remove all the female organs. I wasn't so concerned about that because we had two daughters and we had enough and I didn't want any more children anyway because I figured some of the drugs I did, why risk having a child deformed? And two weeks before the schedule of hysterectomy, a prophetic man, because back in those days in the 70s, nobody was known as a prophet. But a very prophetic man called me and said, I need to see you. Something happened that's life-changing. He would go to a baseball field where there was some swings, kind of a playground. And he would go there in the evening and intercede retired school teacher, he prayed. He said, last night I was on a baseball field and Jesus just suddenly appeared in front of me. I've never had that happen before. I was shocked and the Lord said, it's okay, Kermit, but I have a message I want you to tell my servant, Ken Helsing. I want you to tell him first, I've healed his seed and I have never told anybody the reason I didn't even want any more children is I was concerned about the drugs I did. 
And here's a man that I barely had known only one other time saying, Jesus said, I've healed your seed. And you're going to have a son. And his name will be Jonathan David. And he will play the harp. He will sing like an angel. And he will write prophetic songs for his generation. And his music will go out all over the earth. Now, when you're two weeks from his directory, that's, that's dramatic. And I said, God, is this you? And it grew in my heart, and I never knew I wanted a son so badly. And in a short amount of time, my wife and I are praying and telling the gynecologist, can you do one more test? On a Sunday, I anointed her with oil, prayed for her, and it wasn't dramatic. But during that prayer, my wife touched the hem of Jesus' garment. On Friday, with a scheduled hysterectomy on Monday, they did a DNC, and that's when they go in and scrape the wound. The test came back on Saturday, and when the doctor came down the hall whistling, we said, that's a good sign. He stuck his head in the door and said, the pathologist is baffled. He's consulted me three times, saying this is not the same woman. Ken, your wife is 200% okay. We got pregnant with a little boy who was named Jonathan David. And he was all boy. He never showed any interest in music. He just loved to play sports. I don't care if it was a ball, he was into it. But at 19 years of age, graduating from high school, he came to my room one night and he said, Daddy, didn't you used to play guitar? See, we never told him the whole thing. We told him, God healed your mommy. We had a baby. We didn't tell him what he was going to be doing with him. Did you used to play guitar? Can you teach me some chords? And so we sent him off to Nuneaton YWAM in England with a guitar and a Bible. I came to visit him in November. And on the last night before we were returning home, some of the kids said, you should hear some of Jonathan's worship. I said, Jonathan, I got a little cassette we play, and I know your sisters would love to hear you. You're playing guitar better. He said, yeah, play a song better. And he played the song, and I went, oh my gosh, who wrote that? He said to me now, he says, I'll never forget the look on your face because you had waited 19, well, really 20 years for a word of a prophet to become reality. We will dance in your palace all our days. We'll sing in your temple with all our praise. We'll shout down the walls in the name of your son because we will overcome. We will overcome. I said, Jonathan, you wrote that. I said, the first song you wrote is the, pro the prophecy of your entire life. My generation, the 60s, the hippies, we threw away our inheritance. We wasted what God gave us. It's your generation to take back what my generation destroyed. You're going to take back the land. And you're going to do it through the power of worship. And so it is that here I am. 71 years old, and it used to be, oh, Jonathan David, Ken Helser's your daddy. <laughs> no more. You're Jonathan David's daddy? Oh, that can't be. I just say, I'm no longer slave to fear. I am a child of God. <laughs> 